Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 27. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, Peter, that you yourself this very night before a cock crows twice shall three times deny me. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing too. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you, thanking you for your great faithfulness that has been demonstrated to us not only today, not only in the past, but we read of it all throughout history. Thank you that your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. And it's because you are a faithful God that we are here today, that we are able to live lives that bring glory and honor to you. Father, thank you for your word, your faithful word, your dependable and reliable word. Please use it today in our lives. Open up our eyes to behold the wonderful and magnificent and marvelous things that are in your word. But also, Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to heed what thus saith the Lord. We commit ourselves to you and ask that you would use your word to transform us and to cause us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. A repeated emphasis in the Gospel of Mark is discipleship, following Jesus. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus gets to the heart of the requirements of being a disciple. He says that a disciple must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow him, follow Jesus. Does your understanding of discipleship allow for failure? Does your concept of being a follower of Jesus have room for the fact that the children of God, the followers of Christ, can fall flat on their face and fail God? Mark's concept of discipleship does. In this second gospel, as he's been writing and sharing with us and letting us know that those closest to Jesus, those 12 men that Jesus chose to be with him, 
and also those 12 men that he planned on sending out, that those men fell at different times. They fall flat on their face. As one theologian has said, Mark does not present the disciples as models for the readers to imitate, but as mirrors in which the audience can view their own failures as followers of Jesus. We don't have to rehearse the various times that the disciples failed Jesus in this gospel. In fact, our text, Mark chapter 14, verses 27 through 31, does that for us. It provides us with a failure alert. In our passage, Jesus predicts the failures of the twelve and also the failure of the leader of the disciples, Peter himself. But the good news is that even though the passage is saturated with the failures of the followers of Jesus, it also provides hope. Failure is not terminal. When you fall on your face, and seeking to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with your life, you need to know that by God's grace and by God's enablement, he can pick you back up again. And so there's hope in our passage. It lets us know that no matter what might happen as we seek to please God, that all is not lost if we fail him. And we need to keep that before us as we consider these verses. In verses 27 and 28, Jesus predicts the desertion of the 12. The Lord has just finished his last meal with his disciples. And as part of that last meal, he has predicted that one among the twelve would actually hand Jesus over and betray him. It's one who is actually eating with Jesus in that intimate and close setting. And the disciples are disturbed. They're saddened because they're thinking to themselves, is it them? Is it one of them? And they ask Jesus about that. But Jesus never answers their question. But he does pronounce a woe upon the one who chooses to betray him and to hand him over to be killed. Jesus goes on as part of that last meal to institute the Lord's Supper. He talks about the bread. He talks about the cup. And after he institutes the Lord's Supper, the disciples and Jesus sing a hymn, probably more than likely from Psalm 115 to 118. They sing a hymn, they leave the upper room, and they head toward the Mount of Olives. And while they're heading toward the Mount of Olives, Jesus 
predicts that all of his disciples, every last one of the twelve, and Judas is probably not there, but every last one of them will fall away. Jesus' prediction is, it's brief, it's to the point. He says, you will all fall away. And he pictures their failure as a stumbling, as an offense, as a sin. And the idea is not that they will be offended, but that some trial will come into their life, that something will happen, some event will take place, and it will result in them fleeing and running away from their Lord and from their Master. Their faith will be shaken to the core so that they leave Jesus Christ all by himself. And that event is associated with the death of Christ on the cross. And as Jesus is speaking these words, it's right around the corner. It's less than 24 hours that Jesus will be killed. Jesus' prediction is rooted in the Old Testament. Really, it's a verse that I'm not really too familiar with, and I doubt if most of you are too familiar with. Jesus quotes from Zechariah. Yeah, that's a book of the Old Testament. He quotes from Zechariah 13, verse 7. And if you were to look at that verse in its context, in that verse, God says and speaks to a sword. And he says to the sword, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. And Jesus takes that Old Testament scripture and uses it for his purposes. Jesus says that the shepherd will be struck down and the sheep will scatter. That the shepherd will be struck And as a result of the shepherd being struck, the the sheep, the disciples, will be scattered like seed. And Jesus is referring to the death of Christ. I hope as we've gone through Mark, particularly chapters 8 and following, as we picture the death march of Jesus, as he goes to the cross, that you have not missed it, that our Lord over and over and over again speaks of his death. Three times in chapters 8, 9, and 10, he told the disciple that he is going to die, he's going to be killed. And even as he instituted the Lord's Supper, he referred to his death. He, He said that cup with wine in it, that it symbolizes my blood that will be poured out for you. In picturing Christ's sacrifice, his death on Calvary's cross. And here is the Lord one more time, putting it before the disciples and letting them know that the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, 
is going to be struck down. That's just a way of saying that Jesus Christ will be killed. And, and, and the result of that is that the sheep, the disciples, the followers, the close followers of Jesus Christ, they will be scattered. They will flee. They will run. And Mark gives no indication at all in our text how the disciples responded. No doubt they heard Jesus saying, you will all fall away. When Jesus predicted that one of them would betray him, they all became distressed and sad. But here in our text, we find no response, so to speak. Because Mark doesn't want to worry about how the disciples responded. Mark wants to shine the spotlight, the spotlight on the hope that is associated with Jesus' prediction of failure. You're all going to fall away, he says. But that's not the end of the story. He goes on to say in verse 28, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Yes, he speaks of his crucifixion. He he speaks of him being killed on the cross. He, He speaks of the fact of the impact it will have on the disciples. You will all fall away. You will run away. But he gives them hope in the midst of their failure. They will fall flat on their face and run away from the Lord that they've been following these last three and three and a half years. But even though Jesus predicts their failure, he predicts and gives them hope. That's good news, my friends. That's wonderful to know that when our life falls apart, that we have a Savior who gives us hope in the midst of our failures. And so the Lord says, not if I be raised, but he says, after I am raised. You see, every time Jesus talks about his death, he also talks about his resurrection. The two go hand in hand. And so the Lord says, after I've been crucified, After I've been raised from the dead, I I predict to you, I promise to you that I'm going to meet you again in Galilee. You see, the crucifixion of Jesus took place in Jerusalem. Some 80 miles north of Jerusalem is Galilee. And Jesus says, after I rise from the dead, there's going to be a reunion. We're going to meet again. I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm not going to lead you and direct you, but I'm going to go ahead of you. I'll meet you in Galilee. And that was a wonderful promise. That even though the shepherd would be struck dead and the sheep would scatter, the time would take place in the future 
where the shepherd and the sheep would be reunited. Jesus is more than a Savior who dies on the cross. He's a Savior who rises from the dead. And because of his resurrection, there's hope. If he was still in the tomb, if he was still dead, there'd be no hope for you, there'd be no hope for me. Not only when it comes to salvation, but when it comes to walking with God. If the Lord says, look, after I rise from the dead, I'm going to meet you again. I'm going to reunite with you. And that was a blessed hope to these disciples. In fact, the angel who was at the tomb in Mark 16, when the women went there to anoint the body of Jesus with the spices in, they found that the the, 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 the huge rock was rolled away. And they found that the tomb was empty. The angel said to the women in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said to you. These are not idle words. These are words of hope. These are words that were actually fulfilled. You read Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, when the Great Commission is given. Where are they? They're not in Jerusalem. They are with Jesus in Galilee. And Jesus has reunited with his disciples and said, you got a responsibility to make disciples of all nations. And lo, I am with you. These disciples who are going to fail him. These disciples who are going to scatter and run away from Jesus. Jesus doesn't abandon them. He doesn't give up on them. But he gives them hope and tells them, I am the resurrected Christ. I will meet you in Galilee. And your story of failure will be turned into stories of success. You disciples, excluding Judas Iscariot, you disciples will be responsible for the building of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think the disciples fully grasp what Jesus predicted and what he promised. It just seems like they didn't get it. But I'm not concerned so much about them. Do we get it? As we look at these verses, do do we get it? Do we understand that our Lord sympathizes and has compassion for us when we fail him? That he doesn't abandon us. That he doesn't give up on us. That he doesn't turn his back on us. He recognizes that his people at times will fail him. And the risen Lord is there to offer hope. 
He's there to say to His children, His followers, I'm willing to reunite with you. I'm willing to help you to turn your failures into successes. If the Lord wanted to, He could list all of our failures, past, present, and future. And I'm not just talking about those times when we might, quote, sin. I'm talking about those times when we blow it. When we know that we have done something grievous in the eyes of our Savior. But our Lord is not interested in listing our failures. He wants us to know and be encouraged that when we fail, he is more than willing to help us. And somebody needs to hear that today. You have failed and you think it's terminal. That there's no hope for you. And I'm here to tell you, just like Jesus told his disciples, there's hope. There's promise in the resurrected Jesus Christ. In verses 29 through 31, Jesus predicts the denials of Peter. In the remaining verses of our passage, Jesus and Peter take center stage. Before is primarily Jesus, but now here comes Peter. And he kind of enters onto the stage, and the stage really, in some sense, becomes a boxing ring. Jesus and Peter are going to duke it out. And Peter wants to fight Jesus. Peter wants to talk about how loyal he will be, how faithful he will be. And so Peter throws the first punch when he says to Jesus, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. He's thrown a punch at Jesus. He's taken a swing at what Jesus has just said in verses 27 and 28. This disciple is willing to admit that what Jesus says will be true for all, but all doesn't include him. It's going to be true for the majority, but not for the minority, Peter. All will fall away. But Peter says, not me, Lord. Your prediction is not going to be completely fulfilled. I hear what's coming out of your mouth, Jesus, but I need to take a blow at you. I need to set you right. I'm not going to fall away. And I think when we hear Peter's words, we are impressed on the surface. We're almost ready to give him a high five. Peter, oh, look at your devotion. Look at your commitment to Jesus. 
But I hope you don't do that. I hope you don't commend Peter for his words, for the swing that he takes at Jesus. Because Peter's words are words of arrogance, words of pride. Three different ways we can justify that and say that. First of all, Peter's words indirectly say Jesus is a liar. Jesus says all of them, including Peter, is going to fall away. <laughs> but Peter says, wait a minute, Lord. You got it wrong. I need to correct you. I am not going to fall away. Peter's words ignore the depravity of human beings, the, the fallenness of human beings, the fact that you and I come into this world depraved and fallen. And, and there's nothing good that we would be able to do apart from the grace of God. Peter is full of himself. He thinks that he can say to Jesus that determination and desire are enough. And I've tried to share with us at Fairview several times that in light of Psalm 119, verse 10, that the psalmist teaches us a valuable lesson. When he says, I've sought you with all of my heart. And then he says to God, do not let me wander from your commandments. And what the psalmist teaches every child of God, that desire and determination are not enough. You can have all the desire, all the determination in all the world, and it's not enough. The psalmist says, I've sought you, God, with all of my heart. I have not held anything back. But he doesn't stop there. He then cries out to God and, say, and says, do not let me wander from thy commandments. And in saying those words, he's letting us know that all of us are to distrust ourselves. Some of us have too much confidence in ourselves. And God is saying, don't trust yourself. You are fallen. You are depraved. And the psalmist said, I don't trust myself, God. And so he cries out. He says, don't let me wander. And when he cries out, that is expressing his dependency upon God. As Peter says these words, I will not fall away. Yes, desire and determination is there. But he's not distrusting himself. And he's not crying out to Jesus, I need you, Jesus, to help me not to fall away. He is pronouncing that he won't do it. Arrogance. We can't do it in our own strength, and our own ability. We must always distrust ourselves and cry out for dependency upon God, His enablement, His grace, His Spirit. Peter missed that. And then Peter's arrogance shows itself in thinking he's better than others. 
I'm not going to follow it. Those guys, those other disciples of yours, yeah, I can see it. I've been around those knuckleheads. I've been trying to lead them. I've been trying to teach them. I can see why you say they're going to fall away. But he's so arrogant, he doesn't see himself in the others. And so Peter is not to be commended for his words. Jesus counters Peter's blow with a blow of his own. Peter, you want a box? You want to get in the ring with me, Jesus says? Yeah, you gave me a good shot, but it didn't land. But now let me counter and give you a blow. And so in verse 30, Jesus says to his leading disciple, Truly I say to you that you yourself with this very night before a cock crows twice shall three times deny me. What a crushing blow. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter, you're going to deny me. Not once. Not twice. But on three separate occasions, you will deny me. And before the Lord gets to that denial, it's like he's trying to prepare Peter to to realize when it will happen. He uses three different time references. He says, today. It's not always in our English translation, but that's what Jesus said. Today, it's evening, and the day began when the sun settled down, when the sun set down. And Jesus said, within the next 24 hours, you're going to deny me. And then Jesus takes it a little bit further. It's not just today, but it's this very night. While it's still dark. And then if that's not enough, Jesus gets more particular. And he says, before a cock crows twice. It's going to happen before the sun rises. And Jesus emphatically says to Peter, you yourself shall deny me three times. What a prediction. Peter, not only will you fall away, but you're going to deny me. You're going to verbally deny me. But Peter is hard-headed. Peter is stubborn. Peter will not allow Jesus' words to enter into his thick skull. So he counters with another punch. In his mind, Jesus doesn't have it right. And so in the first part of verse 31, we read that Peter kept saying insistently, 
even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Peter's not willing to give up the fight. He's just not convinced that he's going to fail Jesus and deny Jesus. And so he comes back at Jesus. And Peter comes back and repeatedly and excessively and vehemently keeps saying to Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to fall away. I've already told you that, Jesus. And I'm not going to deny you. And he goes to great lengths to make sure that Jesus gets it in his head that he will not be denied by his leading disciple. Peter says, I'll die with you before I deny you. I will die with you before I deny you. And again, wonderful sounding words. But again, Peter does not understand his depravity in that he is able to fail God. The story ends not with Peter simply saying, I'm willing to die with you before I deny you. But the story ends with the Lord being quiet. Peter is quiet. But lo and behold, Mark adds a few extra words. Mark writes for us at the end of verse 31. And they all were saying the same thing too. It wasn't just Peter. Yes, he's out in the forefront, yet he seems to be the spokesman. He's the one that's willing to communicate it, so to speak, and get into the ring and box it out and duke it out with Jesus. But the reality is, Peter was not alone. All of them were pledging unending loyalty to Jesus Christ. Failure alert. Jesus predicts all the disciples will fail him by deserting him. Jesus also predicts that Peter will fail him by denying him on three separate occasions. And what Jesus predicts, as we have always learned, will be fulfilled. Jesus doesn't talk about the future, hoping it will come to the past. Now, when Jesus speaks about the future, you can bet your last dime and dollar that it will happen. And we don't have to go to heaven and find out, did it happen? We'll find out in chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, verse 50, we'll read that 
the disciples all left Jesus and fled. The very thing Jesus predicted, all the disciples, including Peter, they fled and abandoned him. And then when we get to the end of chapter 14, we're going to find a man who is weeping and crying. Why? Because on three separate occasions, he failed God. He failed the Lord Jesus Christ. He denied Jesus, just as Jesus predicted. Failure is a part of following Jesus. I know some of you might feel uncomfortable with that, but that's reality. Failure is a part of following Jesus, being his disciples. Ask Adam, not Sagano, the Adam in Genesis 3. Ask Adam. Ask Noah. Ask Adam, the one who plunged the human race into sin. Ask Noah, the drunk. Ask Abraham, the liar who kept lying about who his wife actually was. Ask David the adulterer, the murderer. Ask them if there's any room in God's grace for failure. Is he able to help people who fall on their face? Ask Mark. He he talks about these disciples and how they repeatedly failed Jesus, but when it's all said and done, They are the ones who take the gospel to the whole world. Our God, our Lord, is able to redeem our failures. He's able to do that, my friends. Not because he's simply one who died on the cross, but because he has risen from the dead. And when we come to God for salvation, and I hope each and every one of us has, but when we come to God for salvation, we admit that we have failed at life. That we haven't lived the way that God wants us to live. We admit that. We agree and we recognize and understand that we can gain the whole world and still lose our soul. And so when a person comes to repent of their sins and to put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are admitting to God, I'm a failure. That There's nothing that I can do to make myself acceptable to you. I'm bankrupt spiritually. But even in our walk with God, we can fail the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that we pursue failure. It's not that we delight in failure. It's not even that we welcome failure. But we are realists that we will fail due to our depravity and sinfulness and not do 
to any shortcomings on the part of God. But what you need to keep in mind and what I need to keep in mind is that when I do fail, that there's a loving Savior. There's a holy Savior who is able to redeem my failures and to transform them into success stories. And we need to live our life understanding that. Failure alert. Yes, it's to alert us that failure is possible on the part of the people of God. But it's also to alert us that there is hope in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So if you do fail him, repent of your sins. Confess your sin and forsake them. Be committed to living your life in dependency upon God and not upon yourself. Don't get hung up with your desire and your determination thinking that is enough. Distrust yourself and depend upon God. And He will use your failure for His glory and for His honor. Let's pray together. Father, we fail you. We fail you, Father. And in different ways, at different times, we fail you. But thank you for the hope that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you love us. Those who have put our faith and our trust in Christ alone for salvation. Thank you that you are there offering hope to those who have fallen flat on their face. Redeem our failures so that it might result in you getting glory and honor from our life. Thank you that there is no failure for the child of God that is terminal. That there is no failure for the child of God that cannot be forgiven. Thank you that there is no failure for the believer that Jesus cannot redeem. Thank you for the encouragement that we have in our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.